Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. What is that? That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home, they never go home, they never go home, those, those, those boys. The second captain's world service. That's... Yeah. They have asked for that, really. Well, you can laugh. I want to walk up. I'm a little bit of an idealist, but having said that, I want to be like me. Well, you don't know what you're talking about. What did you want? I'd like to stay alive for six oh, days. I'd say it to your face, and I'll say it to you now. I'm down to our Darwin Nunez discourse plumbed new depths last week when Ken forced me to watch a compilation of the Liverpool striker missing big chances live on the podcast. A compilation entitled Darwin Nunez BCM. Thanks for all the people who got in touch. Mark Staines got in touch. I'm 14 minutes into the BCM podcast. I'm finding it hilarious how Ken has just said, how has he missed all of these big chances? Well, Ken, I think BCM means big chances missed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, absolutely. Yes, of course. Of course. But the thing is that it's just the sheer accretion of misses that for me, watching that video, which remember was was presented as pro-Darwin propaganda. Um, That's why I, th- I confidently suggested that BCM might stand for best clips montage. <laughs> Uh, you idiot! No. Yeah, no, that was uh, yeah. Now best best chance, uh, big chances missed, of course, yeah. and that is of course what it was. But the, but we knew that. The point was uh, that simply watching all those misses in a row has a different effect in my mind than was intended by the the spin of the propaganda. Have you seen what I mean? You understand? Yes. You understand? Yeah, but we, we you still we're, didn't we're, know what BCM. You still yeah. had no idea what BCM. I didn't know the acronym BCM. I didn't recognize it, but I've learned something. I've yeah, that's what it's all about. That's days. what it's. It's nice. BC, when, it's, yeah. it's especially nice when loads of people tell you that you should already know this yeah. thing. That's mm. what everyone wants. To hear. The Darwin emails just do not stop. Declan O'Brien accuses us of ceaseless mockery. He didn't even play this weekend, by the way. He's he's on holidays. I know. Yeah. Wait till next weekend, huh? Techno Brian accuses us of ceaseless mockery of this player, which I think is a bit much. I feel we've been quite fair in highlighting his positive attributes while also noting that he does have a lot of BCM. Mm-hmm. There's no avoiding that fact. Someone was saying we were bullying him. Well, that's what I'm saying, Techno Brian. I don't know if he used that term. but I think, I think he's going to be all right. It was along those lines. However, I do think some Liverpool fans may be overcompensating when they suggest, as Philip Flanagan does, Philip went to the Fulham game recently and emails in saying that Nunes misses a lot of chances, but this actually helps the team in-game as it always seems to build momentum and that's nearly as good as a goal. <laughs> you know what's even better than nearly scoring a goal? <laughs> Philip, yeah, we'll be scoring the goal. That was surely tongue-in-cheek. No, no it wasn't, honestly. No, 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 no person no, no, no. write that. No, it's not. No, no, no. it goes on. It's, it's not the longest email ever, but I'm not going to do the whole one. Okay. Because we've been, uh, but you're, sure, but just to confirm, no, no, I've, he was I've read not the, joking no, when no. he wrote those words. He went to the Fulham game and talked about how, even when missing chances, he lifts the crowd and all yeah. those sorts of things and gets momentum behind the team. 
and Whereas you'll so see on. Goal scoring just like deadens the atmosphere. People, <laughs> it? it's just like, oh god, here we go. It's kind of done. Another then. one of these. There's nowhere to go. Uh, Nunez is aware. He's a he's he knows he's a character he's in a, a TV he's a narrative show. Man. He's a discourse exactly. Man, and you kind of you know? the narrative's finished once the, it's. The climax has happened once yeah. the goal goes in. It's like the, you know, oftentimes the second last episode of a series. That's when all the action happens. Yeah. Then mm. you're watching the last last episode, you know it's not actually going to be that good. Just setting up the Setting the up next. the next series or else a fumbling attempt to finish off a series, which many TV shows get wrong when they're doing the final episode. So what mm. I'm saying is... You agree that Darren Nunez missing chances is good for Liverpool. Yeah. Good for Liverpool, but also good for the atmosphere in the ground. I didn't think we'd be talking this much no. about Darren Nunez. No, so move see, over, Darren Nunez. There's another so BCM merchant in town. Timo Werner is back. Anthony O'Connor emails, thanks for bringing that Timo Werner banger of a tune back. Nothing like a bit of German techno to shake the cobwebs off. Here's hoping he does well, and we get to hear it frequently. Thanks, Anthony. Listen, Anthony, we're not just going to play it every time we get an email. Timo <laughs> There you go. It was a textbook performance by Timo Werner. It really was. He settled right back into it. Really did. He found his stride immediately. Created a goal, had big chances, ran around a lot and missed a lot of big chances, including the textbook pulling the shot wide with the left foot. He used to do it all the time with Chelsea. Oh, amazing. Amazing. But uh, obviously the one with the right foot was better though. Yeah, it was. That was just... First chance. He's a new player. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He cuts inside (laughs) and then... Absolutely reefs at about 80 yards wide. (laughs) Report on sport, please. I'm going to text Ken now. I was like, no, that's just me. Why would I do that? I wouldn't do that. Let's Uh, report on some sport. It was an amazing moment. And I just hope he keeps, you know, he keeps plugging away. Mm. That's always been the thing about Timo Werner. You know, he's he keeps coming back for more, you know. And uh, everything that he did apart from the shots at goal was quite good. Yeah, that's what I mean. You know, his self-possessed little run. That's why he reminded me of Darwin. That's why I ended up I put them together there in the opening again. I know we have talked a lot about Darwin. I find that if you want to keep talking about Darwin, I find that Darwin usually strikes a ball with more conviction than Timo team, team Yeah, that's true. You know, we can't, it harder. we can't fault the conviction with which he hits that ball. He kicks Darwin, the leather off that da- ball. Darwin gets angry at his mischances, where Timo always looks a little sad. He's like, it's happened again. It's yeah. happened again. But yeah. this is, life is suffering. You yeah. Know? I'm, yeah, yeah, yeah. There's time to, time to get my head back in the game and show yeah. for another pass. But I just, you know, I've played golf with Simon Hick many moons ago. And his drives were so awful, right, that they would, they would go like literally at a degree, you know, like kind of 25 degrees to the right mm-hmm. uh, as he's addressing the ball. So Simon just like really simply just aimed it into like the far left rough and the ball went straight down the fairway. Right. I mean, it was the most amazing kind of in-game change of style that I've ever seen, right? And it just it just kept... So I'm almost like, Timo, why don't you aim for the near post? Yeah. yeah. Drag it, like, it over to the far yeah, post. Yeah. Aim it at the near post and it'll nestle into the far corner of the goal, no problem. And don't strike it too well. No, no, sometimes you strike it too continue well. to scuff it. Yeah, you like those ones scuffed across, hard for the goalkeeper to scramble across. Yeah, and, yeah. and well, like you're giving the keeper the eyes as well. I mean, it's literally like it's absolutely faultless because you're looking at the near post, but you're dragging it to the far post. No keeper alive could handle that. Well, I don't know why you don't talk about what, the, the, what he did bring to the party in the form of an assist. Well, I mentioned it already. Um, in passing. Tottenham have had 12 players missing for this game. That's a lot of players. It is. Um, Manchester United only had seven missing. So that was, they, they got off comparatively lightly. Um, but Werner obviously was straight in, uh, in these circumstances, and uh, it was a strange game. I saw that Ian Wright, Ian Wright and 
Um, much as they do could criticize Manchester United for playing counter-attack football at home. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, in, in the course of a sort of a wider point about how, how are they still doing this basic stuff. I don't really think that's what they were doing, though. Um, I think it was a bit, you know, it wasn't... Okay, for the, the comparison is obviously with their previous managers, um, Mourinho being the, the ultimate kind of exponent of this negative counter-attacking style. That's not what they were doing. Um, if it had been Jose Mourinho Manchester United, they would not have conceded the second goal that they conceded, which was just one of the craziest goals in a long time. What? Like, how can you let in a goal like this? This was... So the, this, they, they go in, they're winning at halftime. And Manchester United, as we know, when they're winning at halftime at home, the game is in the bag, pretty much. And they haven't actually lost. I saw Duncan Alexander tweet this stat. They haven't lost a game at home that yeah. they were leading at halftime since when? 1985. Nin- we 1984. 1984, yeah, it was pre-Fergie. We've talked about this a number of times. It's it, like, honestly, I've, I was thinking of nothing else during the second half when the inevitable that's, third that goal. is going that's, that's like going to go that's as old as me nearly <laughs> yeah, it's, 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 it's incredible uh, and, it, and it, it came close to being ended I think <laughs> in this game and maybe and maybe if Tottenham hadn't been quite so exhausted or quite so sort of pleased with getting a point maybe um, maybe they would have been able to, to get the win arguably uh, their performance deserved but, but in terms of what Man United were doing um, I don't think it was counterattacking like Mourinho. It was, it was a kind of a. They, the the reason they didn't end that goal was they were pressing the goal kick from Tottenham in a really like uh, a really aggressive way. Like uh, they the they kicked off for the second half. Tottenham passed it around a bit. They tried to. Uh, they, it came to Hoiberg in midfield, who got tackled, lost the ball. Rashford ran in, uh, and then. It culminates in the Tottenham goal kick, which they then take uh, to Romero. And Man United, if you look at them, have all pushed up, including Christian Eriksen, who's like in midfield. They're all kind of going man for man against these Tottenham players. And Romero, from a position in his own penalty area, somehow plays a 50 or 45-yard diagonal pass through the entire Manchester United team to a completely unmarked uh, player in skip who's just now running at United's defense, backpedaling defense. It's like, <laughs> what is this? Uh, out to Werner, who keeps his head. Meanwhile, Ben Tanker, who started on the other side, has had time to run forward and then survey the situation and then run across the field. And still Bruno Fernandes and Christian Eriksen aren't, aren't, aren't getting close to him. Kobe Minus kind of had to come over to, to attend to this problem on the right side so there's Bentancur is kind of behind him on his blind side and then Bentancur just runs in and Werner plays it into his path a great goal by Bentancur who just keeps his head and lashes it in it, it was it was a lovely move by Tottenham but I could knock it over how bad it was from Manchester United how stupid it is in a moment like that to throw away everything good that you've done in the game but it wasn't it, it came from a kind of a a really aggressive press that they were trying to do. It wasn't just, this is not, as I was saying, this is not like a Mourinho type thing. It's kind of a, uh, we're going to press really high and we're going to, but we're going to try to attack really fast and we're really not going to play in midfield at all. Seemed to be their, their sort of strategy, you know? Um, And to be fair, they only, it was only a draw. They didn't actually lose this game. Um, But I don't think it was exactly, it was exactly counterattacking as um, as um, as Wright was 
was saying. So the similarity with counter-attack football, you don't really use the midfield to any great degree in counter-attacking football either, do you? Well, the idea being that when, whenever they won the Pass ball from... through t- that midfield as quick as you can if you're counter As quick. And, and this, is, this is sort of the, the repeated pattern of the game was when... United did win the ball from Tottenham. They just went forward immediately, like qu- quite long, quite quickly, and usually just passing the ball straight back to Tottenham. So it was kind of, it was frustrating to watch, like in terms of what do you you know. Whereas the contrast with Tottenham was was huge because whenever Tottenham got the ball, they tried to organise themselves, pass the ball around at the back a little bit so they could kind of get into a shape and then move up the field. United didn't do that at all. They were just as soon as they get it, just hit the hit the runners, and. Um, I suppose you could say that's uh, it's a bit the the approach is a bit basic. Um, I don't think it's 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 not similar though to the Mourinho approach. It was a, it was a little bit different, but um, yeah. Uh, where were we? Uh, some of the Tottenham players I think played really well. I mean, Poro was brilliant. Um, ben Tancour was really good. I imagine he he has a pretty good chance of staying in the team even when their first choice players get back from Afcon. Romero was really good. Like it, it was kind of United's United were a bit unfortunate, I suppose. Although they they completely played everything down the left side more or less, but that's where most of Tottenham's best players were. All these sort of Spanish and South American guys. Um, well, I wouldn't describe that as unfortunate for Manchester United. <laughs> they, they would have seen the team sheet. Yeah, that's true. Um, the Garnacho did, did really very nothing. It did pretty much nothing in the game uh, on the right side. So um, they're kind of the strong part of their team was up against. I do wonder what United, if maybe, I mean, obviously, Lissandro Martinez came back in. Mm. And I'm thinking back, obviously, to my own catastrophic uh, suggestion of Manchester United finishing, you know, quite high up on the table. Yeah, you were picking them up preseason. I mean,. You know, based on their signings, mostly. Isn't it? Well, but no, based on. I mean, when you think, I'm, I'm, I obviously I, I think back to that, and I think, how could I have done that? Mm. How, and it's it's hard to think yourself into the position I'm of someone. Question myself, Ken. It's like when you look at these events in history. You're like, how can people have have allowed something this like that to happen, or how can they not have seen what was about to happen? You know, and it seems so obvious now. But at the time, uh, you had uh, Rashford coming off a 30 goal season. You had uh, Martinez uh, being one of the best central defenders, I think, and certainly one of the best build-up from the back central defenders in the league. You had Casemiro having put in a really good season, and you're kind of expecting him to deliver another good season the way he's done for the last 10 years, you know? Heedless of the fact that maybe you you eventually run out of years. Uh, But, uh, see, you had kind of strong uh, players throughout the team, throughout the middle of the team, and obviously, Casemiro has been injured most of the season. Martinez just returned after being injured most of the season. Rashford's been really bad. Um, but maybe... <laughs> <laughs> Please, continue, Neville. But maybe... <laughs> what I see, what I have in my hand here is Manchester United's team sheet for the next six months. I did think you were talking about Gary Neville. Yeah. Maybe they're, they're, you know, those those factors are beginning to... To sort of reassemble, you know, and yeah. you could you could look forward to an opportunity for maybe maybe look we'll talk about in more detail about the the game. Right, Sancho, did you, were you watching Jaden Sancho? Or if you must have been good to see is um, immediately coming in uh, and getting an assist for Dortmund against Not good at all. I just uh, I want the best for the young man. I Do want you? him to be happy. Do you really? And I want him to be not playing football for Manchester United <laughs> if possible. <laughs> Yeah, uh, I do wonder with that with the Sancho thing what it uh, whether you know what what it says about buying players from the Bundesliga. It's not as though 
all signings from the Bundesliga have failed in the Premier League. It's clearly not true. Just Man United's ones. Well, they signed Kagawa. They signed... Veghorst. Veghorst. Well, he, yeah. I mean, there is a recency bias. Who else have, have Man United signed? Sabitzer? Sabitzer, yeah. He wasn't bad, though. Yeah, he was. Right. He was. He was a kind yeah. of a stopgap alo- yeah. alone. Was there another? Did they sign another player from Dortmund? Um, I'm trying to think. I can't. I can't think. Um, but you know, Havertz, I suppose, has been a, a high-profile. Could we say flop? Werner didn't really work out at Chelsea, although he's now back in the Premier League, and as we can see, he's ha- he's he's already had more of an impact than Anthony has managed to do all season, or than Sancho managed to do in his four matches this season um, for for Manchester United, but. Uh, with Sancho, it's such a strange case because he was so good, and you know, it, it was crazy. Like you know, he, like a goal or assist per game was what he was averaging over his spell in Dortmund, which is obviously phenomenal. Um, there are very, very few players who can get that level, like a goal or assist per game. Um, there's not many in that group, so you would have thought, okay, he's going to do it. And why didn't it happen? There are obviously a million different reasons. But the more I was thinking about it over the weekend, the more I concluded is you just can't get away with being that slow anymore. Mm. I just don't think is he, he that slow? Is yeah. he is he one pace? Yeah, I mean, it, so he's he's never been like a high speed winger, you know. Um, he would kick the shit out of Anthony in a sprint, surely. Anthony seems slow to me. I don't. I Anthony is slow, and that's why he's also a failure. Yeah, because Anthony doesn't. Have, Anthony has a thing where he plays in the right, and you know he's going to cut in on the left. And of course, most left footed players do want to cut in on the left, but. The great ones at least give you the. There's a chance. There's a might. chance it might go on the right, and you would look like an absolute fool if you just let them go around that way and then turn back into the left foot anyway because it'll be, uh, have so much space. Mm. Anthony gets around on the right, even when he does break away on the right hand side, he cuts back in and starts doing a little trick to get back inside because he doesn't have any pace. Yeah, so I think maybe. You, sorry, you think who would win? Well, in a race? you know, there's the there's a foot race, Ken. Uh, uh, Twenty five meters between Sancho and Anthony. I mean, I'd like to see it. They should have put it on on their YouTube or whatever. <laughs> Um, everyone would have liked to see that one but uh, I don't think the result would be very important you know uh, the result would be we have two extremely <laughs> slow players at our club we signed uh, an even slower player to replace our slow uh, malfunctioning right winger but you know when you look at Werner for example Werner is not as good a footballer as Sancho you know talent wise uh, control of the ball wise uh, and yet is more suitable for the Premier League because he can at the end of it, at least he can run. Mm. You know, at least he can actually run. And at least he will do a job for the team in terms of he will chase down and try and block a guy where he's where he's meant to do for the... Where Sancho doesn't really do this. I mean, how is he so good in Germany? I mean, I was just looking at the, the assist that he set up. It was so simple uh, against Darmstadt. The guy who he's like making a mug of is, is literally a three grand a week player, right? Which is 1% of what Sancho makes. Like that's it's one percent. Well, Sancho's three hundred grand, three hundred. You know, that's, that's what he's getting paid a week. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and it's like it's like I, I remember when going to see Robbie Keane play the MLS Cup final, mm-hmm. and he scored the winner in extra time for LA Galaxy against I think it was New England Revolution. Uh, phenomenal! I remember the the drunk Bruce Arena and Robbie Keane like. The astronaut John Glenn, just like this grant, <laughs> this granite jawed uh, leader, you know. Is that that's Robbie? Is it Robbie? Yeah, he was like a granite jawed presidential figure. Stop it! The Americans were just all, wow, this guy, you know, he's really he's got the right stuff, and uh, the guys he was 
the guys he eventually got the better of were literally college students on $25,000 a year. Yeah. And Robbie Keane was on $5 million or whatever. So he, he should have scored, really. It was right that, he's, that he eventually managed to score in that game. And I kind of feel like Sancho is a... There's a bit of that going on with him in Germany, you know? You, I think in, it's not like that Germany is like MLS. Like, obviously, there are a lot of good players in the Bundesliga, but it is a younger league. It's, it's, the players who are really good have left or, you know, will be, will be signed up. You get a lot of sort of younger players who are kind of raw um, and you get players who aren't quite good enough. And Sancho bullies those guys. But in the Premier League, he just played against guys who were too quick or who were able to recover if he would wrong foot them, he couldn't go past them. And ultimately just realized, wow, this is really difficult. I'm not really into this. You know, I think that just sort of is, is sort of the story of his career. You know, he just wasn't. I think I it's actually, Sancho. He sorry, but Sancho wasn't didn't. Well, he built himself into the player who ended up earning three hundred grand a week. You know, you're describing it as some sort of mismatch, but that wasn't the case when he was first over there. He had to he had to produce those sort of performances to get the big money move. Yeah, and now he goes back as this flop, basically, who's yeah. on these massive wages. So to be fair to him, he, you know, you. He was on the same level as those guys and he was the one who put himself at a level where he looked potentially world class. Well, he and, and Ed Woodward, you know. I mean, this was the debate they were having. I don't know if you saw Keane and, and Neville and someone arguing about this, but talking about like, well, Manchester United just isn't really a destination club anymore for the top players, you know. Neville was praising Jude Bellingham for having done the counterintuitive thing of going to this, you know, uh, nothing club in Borussia Dortmund rather than Manchester United and now look at him you know and it would have worked out that well for him if he'd come here uh, and this isn't really a place top players want to go blah 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 um, but I think that's kind of been the case for a while and the thing the way that United were getting over that was by paying massive wages you know what I mean it was like a, you know we can we can pay more than than other teams so why don't you come here and this is why they've got so many of these giant contracts like you know Sancho's contract is enormous but they have to Sancho was kind of dragging his heels about joining them you know it went on for two years uh, you know from their initial sort of oh we'd like to sign you and they, he was like mm, not sure you know maybe maybe here maybe there maybe I'll do this maybe I'll do that and they just kept offering more and more money until eventually it was like alright mm. <laughs> see you there but he just I think at the end of it wasn't really uh it's also, I suppose, the, the idea that Manchester United has, has been like a garbage club for the entire time that he's been there. It's been a complete and utter shambles. Yeah, but but look, it hasn't been a complete and utter shambles for the entire time that he's been there. Um, last season, I think they had a, a pretty decent season. And in the time that he's been there, which is to say two full seasons, um, he's had different managers. He's had lots of different teammates. There's been through. There's been times when various players have performed really well, mm. and he's never been one of them. Yeah. Can you literally name a single, a single good performance? Is there a single? Is it was there a single game you watched and you thought, "Wow, he was brilliant there." No. No. There were a couple of games where I thought, "Oh well, you know, six weeks of this, and then maybe he might start improving a small bit, and then." But no, at no stage did he look like anything like the player that we were, that we'd been promised. No. With those numbers. And I still see people talking about Ten Hag being too harsh on him. Ten Hag started it with that, with that comment about him not training well. It's so, so ridiculous. I mean, if you want to talk about managers, you know, maybe going in a bit too hard on players, I refer you to the example of Troy Deeney, mm-hmm. uh, who is now the manager of 
Forest Green Rovers. Now, Forest Green Rovers suffered a reverse at home to Harrogate Town in their League Two fixture on uh, on Saturday. Troy Deeney managing his sixth game yet to record a victory um, as manager of uh, a Forest Green. Bottom club, Forest Green Rovers. He was none too plus. And uh, he gave an interview to BBC uh, Radio Gloucestershire in which he said, in which he said a lot actually, and the full interview is like 11 or 12 minutes. So just a couple of selected highlights from Troy's interview um, were, uh, well, look, I mean, at the end of the day, it's about the players, isn't it? And uh, here he is uh, addressing uh, concerns about the result and the overall form of the club. My point with this whole group, take me out of it, take my four or five games out of it, six games out of it. Start Spike with David Lou, revert back to type. Who was before? Duncan Ferguson. Yeah. Spike with Duncan Ferguson, revert back to type. Who was before that? Yeah, Ian Birchnell. Ian Spike at the start, revert back to type. So is it all of us are wrong or the players are wrong? Or the culture, this is possible, the culture, environment, all of that. If I was able to tell you, hand on heart, the truth of and, and Jace was there, the amount of nonsense you have to deal with at this place, from players, by the way, is embarrassing. So we already knew. So we, actually, for me, the, the fun part of it is, I know exactly what I need to do. And, and I was trying to like be nice and cozy my way into it. But what's going to have to happen is the sledgehammers are going to have to come out and there's going to be a lot of people that won't like it. I don't really care. My job is to save, try and save this football club in the short term, but also to put it in a better place moving forward. And at the moment, there's too many babies, and that's not that's not for young players, by the way. Too many babies from top to bottom. The problem is there are too many babies at Forest Green Rovers. The solution is the sledgehammers are going to come out. Yeah, and uh, it's not the winner that far. <laughs> so, so he kind of went on, and he and he was attacking everyone, and he was like talking sarcastically about the team. He was explaining what his game plan had been. Then he was like derisively talking about what they actually did and then he said oh they came as a dressing room they explained it all to me and I'm just like oh yeah great whatever you do you did a great job lads and then uh, he referred to uh, Fankati Dabo his uh, his right back and he said who was he's, he just referred to him they said who was rubbish by the way and he won't play in the next game and you can have that today and oh, come on. yeah, he was rubbish. And then the so the so the interviewer picked up on that because that was in the middle of a of a long stream of consciousness from Troy about how shit everyone uh, apart from him was. Uh, so this is where he he, he came back in. He's like, I mean, he said something about Dabo there. You say the likes of Dabo wasn't good enough today. Is, is that something not today? Not been good enough for about five, six, seven, eight, nine weeks. Why do you think he was dropped at the start? This is the point, and. I just told him in front of everyone. Six months ago, that kid had a kick to go to the Premier League. Now he won't get a game in the National League. So is that me or him? It's a simple question. Because he's faster than everybody, and purely ability, but he gets run every game, he never makes a tackle, and every time the ball comes to him, he looks like he kicks it with his shin pads. That's it. That's the reality of it. So obviously you're happy to call out these players who aren't, you think aren't being good enough. Why not? I've got fans questioning me. So I'll stand here and do this. Where, where are they doing the media? Where's their post on social media? Because they do when it's a draw. The draws have come wins now. If we won, they'd have a victory lap round here. Um, yeah, you know, 
look, you look around and you see what it is. I'm, I'm more than happy to call people out. I'm more than happy to be called out. If if it's for the lack of want, lack of effort, lack of commitment, lack of um, what's the word I'm looking for? Due diligence of like actually staying. What time did we leave the training ground yesterday, Jace? 6.30 yesterday. 6.30. 6.30, leave the training ground yesterday. They were at home and in bed at that point. Had a nap, had some food. So we're looking at this game and then already pre prepping for Mansfield. Manager, but I'm the problem. <laughs> so, no, I'll call people out when I know and I see that that's embarrassing. If I was Dale Vince, I'd be questioning me, as he should do. And I'll tell him exactly what I think. And if I was a fan base, I'd be asking for my money back. Yeah. If I was Dale Vince, I might stop going for big name Premier League players to manage my team because Duncan Ferguson was a disaster. One win in 18 matches. <laughs> oh, it's not doesn't sound like it's going too well. Dale Vince, Cardini, he yeah. just he just thinks that you need a you need a, a strong leader in the dressing room. You know, you need a man who can um, man who's wield a sledgehammer. Man who's not afraid to work till six thirty. What's going to take? Oh, let's go home. Yeah, it's nearly seven o'clock. I was up as a crack of noon this morning, today. <laughs> but he's, he's apparently apologised to Fankadi Dabo for for saying these. Uh, th you know, for saying that he kicks the ball with his shit. Every guards. time he, he gets run out of every game, he never makes a tackle, and whenever he kicks the ball, it looks like he's kicked it with his shin pads. And he also referred to this kid. He's twenty eight. This kid had a kick to go to the Premier League. He's referring to Dabo missing a penalty in the playoff final, the championship playoff final shootout for Coventry. So he missed. Coventry lost. So the worst moment of this kid. The life. worst moment of his of his this life kid, of his career. Year old the life. kid, the twenty eight year old kid, he gets released by Coventry. Now he's at Forest Green Rovers. Then they appoint Troy Deeney to be his manager. Oh Jesus! Uh, and and now Deeney is just. You know, I, this isn't, I'm not having a go at him, but by the way, <laughs> you know, it's just like... So what you're saying, Ten Hag is touchy-feely in comparison to that. Well, you know, Ten Hag has been actually pretty restrained by comparison to Troy Deeney. I don't think Troy Deeney is, is right there. I, I don't think the Troy Deeney Forest Green uh, romance is going to last that much longer. Doesn't sound like based it. On, based on what I've heard there. Dale Vince is going to run out of patience. But what he said there was... was uh, you know, the guy said, oh, you're happy to call out these places because we know that's it's sort of, you know, re received wisdom that this isn't a good policy for a manager to sort of insult and demean your players mm. in, in public. We looked all over the place. Yeah, no one's know. playing with character and personality at the moment. <laughs> um, people are just making mistake after mistake. And it's difficult <laughs> to watch. Yeah, so we, we think it's it's not good. But as he, he Troy Deeney's immediate response to that was, why not? I've got fans questioning me. So he's literally admitting, oh, I'm just doing this because, you know, I'm just passing it down the chain. You know, I'm getting abused and now it's your turn. Again, one of the main responsibilities of being a manager is to take that shit and yeah. try to deflect somewhat from the players getting the brunt of the The referee, for instance. Yeah, that's absolutely, I think you know. that would be. Or even the, the chairman, well, I suppose Dale Vince is his chairman. Um, people maybe don't tend to attack their chairman that much unless they're really in the even more terminal stages than... Troy Deeney's in. In fact, um, we, we had an email from a listener um, defending a chairman, a prominent chairman. Yeah. Um, Todd Bowley. Mm -hmm. None other than Todd Bowley. So, I don't know if you would have noticed, though, Chelsea were playing on uh, Saturday and they beat Fulham 1-0. Yeah. Uh, Cole Palmer penalty. He's a good penalty taker, a kid. And... Um, Raheem Sterling apparently has won more Premier League penalties than any other player. Doesn't shock me. Doesn't 
Captain Jamie. He's been he's been doing it for a, he's been doing it for a while. But uh, the the kind of most notable thing about the game was this strange promotion that Chelsea had going on, where there was like a bunch of people in like dark outfits, kind of standing behind the bench and or sort of sort of behind the dugout area and kind of brushing their teeth and other things like this at moments in the game and it turns out anyway that this is a, a promotion for a movie um, the movie is called Owen Argyle or Argyll I'm not sure how to say that word I mean, I'm the, looking at I would say Argyle but I mean I'm, I don't know what I'm basing that on as in Plymouth Argyle the, yeah. uh, no that's A-R-G-Y-L-E this is this is different from that because it's got two L's. That's why I wonder if it might be Argyll instead of Argyll. I don't really care about it. Um, as uh, I see that it is described as a um, spy action comedy film, which I think is could be my least favorite genre of film. Um, directed and produced by Matthew Vaughan, whose previous work in, includes Kingsman. Not Conesman. No. The story of great coaches in World Football. The Anthony Barry story. The Anthony Barry story. Kingsman is a, um, you know, execrable series of films. Uh, God, he's really pushing the butt out with this uh, spy, what, what did you call it? Meta spy. spy Stay comedy. in your lane is not something that has ever had to be told to Matthew Vaughan. He likes his lane. Uh, yeah, well, look, it's, you know, some people are, some people like this sort of thing. And evidently they were doing some sort of promotion at at, uh, at Stanford Bridge, which uh, has prompted our listener to email in saying, I thought I'd send a quick email before you potentially mention the film promotion at Stanford Bridge on Saturday, being another Todd Bowley faux pas on today's show. This had nothing to do with him. And none of the production companies associated with the movie are run by him either. I've seen a few other journalists on social media report his involvement, but it seems like it's just another poorly researched bit of news that they know people will take as fact, as the general narrative is that an extremely successful businessman is actually a bumbling idiot. (laughs) I've noticed you frequently mention every decision that happens at Chelsea being the fault of Bowley, despite him being the minority owner, and also taking a further step back at the end of last season. It's been noted by many respected Chelsea journalists that Bedad Agbali is the one that's been calling the shots for quite some time now. And sporting directors Paul Winstanley and Lawrence Stewart are solely in charge of identifying potential transfers. So, that has nothing to do with Bowley either. The second article below, and this is a Bloomberg article saying, Bowley spending less time running Chelsea as rough season ends, uh, mentions that his day-to-day involvement is down to about 20%. 20% of what is my question. But uh, so the narrative that everything goes through him is frankly ridiculous. Or maybe you weren't even going to talk about the team sat currently ninth in the Premier League after another unconvincing display. I'm not writing for this to be read out in the show. Well, sorry about that. It's more of a heads up for future reference so you don't embarrass yourselves as plenty of others have these past few days. I don't usually defend billionaires, but I think Todd's being unfairly chastised recently. So, not going to criticize Todd Bowley for this. Uh, maybe just criticize Chelsea a little bit for like turning their uh, match into a freak show mm. um, advertising some uh, god awful film uh, pfft, you know people were like Dua Lipa said Dua Lipa I think is in the movie and uh, oh like Dua Lipa is here was like a rumor I don't know I don't know if she was there I'm not sure why it would be of any concern to anyone if she was there I suppose if she was there in some promotional role maybe 
that's exciting to people. I don't know. Is it is it exciting? Do you, do you find it exciting? Well, celebrities turn up at matches, and you know, you see Tom Brady at a the, Birmingham game, and it's like, ooh, Tom Brady's here. Or that's Birmingham, though. You know, it's a bit unusual. I mean, this is Chelsea. Like, there's a celebrity at the Chelsea match. <laughs> you know, but who is it? And you're like, this is like, I, I, I don't, I don't really get it. But um, yeah, I suppose Chelsea have got to uh, keep the wolf from the door somehow. That's it. Uh, so you know, they've got to fund uh, those transfers. They turned over some cash. Um, what else is going on? <sighs> Referees. Who cares? Uh, De Bruyne. Yeah, very good. <laughs> uh, Kevin Kevin De Bruyne and Oscar Bob. Oscar Bob is the latest brilliant Norwegian player. Mm-hmm. Um, they seem to be... What's going on up in the fjords? I know, there's quite a few. Why can't they gel all this talent? These guys want to be qualifying for major tournaments. They will soon. be. I think, I think they're going to be <laughs> quite soon. Oscar Bob's goal was great. He then ran off shouting, Vamos! Did you see that? Yeah. And De Bruyne did the same thing. Yeah. Which I I don't know. I mean, I guess it's... Is it a thing? I mean, is, are they told to do this by Pep? Does it make you better? I'm not sure. That neither, are they told to do this by Pep? Are they? It's not something that is actually happening. Vamos. Yeah. Uh, De, De Bruyne and Oscar Bob. I didn't see whether Bernardo Silva um, did that for his, his own brilliant goal in the first half. But, uh, yeah, it was obviously a very good win. They ran a goal of the match competition and match of the day. <coughs> yeah. It's a bit of a struggle with the old uh, half the teams being off each weekend. <laughs> <laughs> so match of the day basically showed all the goals that had just been scored in the goal in the match that they had been analysing and then asked. And in fact, both contributors went Take Bernardo for Silva. Bernardo Silva's goal. Yeah. Which uh, I, I would have maybe gone for Anthony Gordon's goal. I've seen a lot of people score that Bernardo Silva goal. It's a high technical quality. It's beautiful. That little sort of back heel. The Lee Sharp, Murph, I like to call it. Yeah. But I thought De Bruyne's one was... De Bruyne's one was very, it was very so De, Bruyne. De Bruyne. He's just back in the yeah. team. They step off him a little bit. I'm watching a lot of NFL playoffs at the moment, Murph. You give a, quarter, you give a high quality quarterback time in the pocket. They're going to do damage to you. And that's what they gave Kevin De Bruyne. Stood off him just a little bit. Oh, what do we do here? Kevin De Bruyne, is he going to curl a shot around the far post? No, he's not. He's going to actually just knock a gentle, almost a pass through the legs of yeah. the last defender and into the other bottom corner. Almost like a sort of putting Beautiful. action. Yeah. So oh. I'll put that with my right foot. <laughs> it <was> delicious. Um, <clears throat> yeah, it was great. And then obviously That was my pass. goal of the game, uh, <laughs> for the record, Murph. I, I would have I gone with... Yeah. First thing I would have gone with Anthony Gordon. mid-season break is great, isn't it? Uh, I think Gordon... Um, Gordon's goal. Yeah, I th- he's, it was a very Robin-type Robin goal. Uh, a right-footed Ryan Robin. Maybe that's what Anthony Gordon is going to become. Um, he's been he's been pretty useful. Maybe he's going to be sold by Newcastle now because they've uh, they're apparently under massive financial pressure, um, according to um, well, well FFP pressure. You mean? Yeah. Um, so so they claim. Uh, yeah, I guess uh, I guess that's it for now. On. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewellery that makes you look like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. eBay gets it. 
So look for the blue check mark next to that thing you love and be confident that every inch, stitch, sole, and logo is checked by experts. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. We've got that bit better quality. We've just got to make it count. It might be a knob end. Is it too much to ask? In ninety first minute that wins it. So basically like you any chance you train. I don't know, Roy said something under his breath about Johnny or something. You're always on the team until never fuck. Roy is Roy, isn't he? I'm sure there's lessons to be learned by everybody. And how do you just go, Roy, I'm not speaking to you like this, like, you know, I'm not listening to you. When I got the sack at Sheffield United, the, the only guy that spoke to me was Roy Keane. I'll never forget that. And I thought that was a bit of class. We've got that bit better quality, and we've just got to make it count. You can't be it might be a knob end in 91st minute that wins it. The athletic dream team of Mark Critchley and Jack Pitbrook are on today. Hey, fellas. Hey, how's it going? It's, <laughs> it's the dream team. <laughs> <laughs> I know that's how you love to be introduced, guys. Would Spurs be the happier of the two teams? Certainly Ange Postacoglu seemed to cut a happier figure after the match yesterday, Mark. Um, I think so. Um, I think the, the balance of play, the pattern of the game, you'd absolutely say that, that Tottenham were the better side. Um, you know, more possession, more chances. I didn't think they cut through United at will. And so maybe some of the praise that went towards the performance was slightly overdone, but like there was definitely that threat at set pieces all the way through. And um, yeah, I think, you know, in terms of that balance of the play, it really just kind of reinforced some of the narratives that have surrounded both sides this season where, you know, Tottenham have this identity, they have this playing style that has been introduced within the space of just a few months by by Ange. And um, yeah, 18 months, nearly coming on to two years down the line with Ten Hag, there's not the same uh, identifiable uh, principles and, start and, and and patterns of play. And it's, it's something that I'm always reluctant to, with the, I'm always reluctant to use that, um, that term because I've, I've we've been using it for years now you know whether it's Mourinho which, sorry, it's which term? well patterns of play you oh, know yeah, or yeah, yeah. like individual moments you know a lot of the a lot of the uh, analysis on Sky afterwards was about that and during the game I thought and it's it's the kind of like if you ask people to actually identify well what is a pattern of play you know what do we what do you actually want to see um you know I've used that criticism of them myself over the years and I feel like well I don't actually I don't actually know if I could identify one myself maybe it's just because I can identify I've one I can on, Well, I mean, every time Manchester United got the ball, they just kicked it forward as fast as they could. Whereas that Tottenham, is a pattern of play. That it, is, I mean, that is, it, that is a, it's, it's a, a repeatable way that they keep doing. They keep trying to play football. Like it, it, it's uh, a it's a pattern of play. It is it is a pattern of play. But it's like this is not what this is not what they hired this guy from Ajax. This wasn't what they were doing. Like they so they had in that game. Uh, 34% possession, I think, at home, which is their second lowest of the season. The only, the only game they had less of the ball was away at Anfield, where they really didn't try to kind of compete in the game. Um, like, it's incredible that this can happen. And, and I mean, Jack, this is this is happening against... Uh, it, sorry, it's not incredible that it, that, it, that it can happen, but this is a Tottenham team that are missing their three best attackers, Kulusevsky, Son, and Madison, are all absent. Their first choice midfield pairing is Saar and uh, Basuma, both at the uh, AFCON. They should not be remotely capable of 
dominating Manchester United the way they were yesterday. And somehow, uh, in Postecoglou's team, the face has changed, the players change, and the style remains the same. How is he able to do this and Ten Hag can't do it? That's a really good question. I think it is amazing how little sense of ethos there is in Manchester United 18 months on. I thought the most... I thought the most revealing thing that Ten Hag has said recently I actually can't remember specifically when it was but somebody, he was asked by in a TV interview you know, why can you play your Ajax style of football here at Manchester United and he said well no of course I can't because I haven't got the players mm. and I thought well I think somebody said on Twitter he wouldn't have said that in his interview at Manchester, when he got the Manchester United job in the first place mm. and secondly he's bought three players from Ajax anyway you know, surely the expectation when you get a manager in like that is that they will impose their ethos and that they will bring in the stock. They will bring in players to play precisely the football they have done at other clubs. You know, that's you know, Klopp and Guardiola would never have said that in their respective jobs. In terms of how Tottenham have done it, I think, I think in part it's because Postecoglou's commitment to his ethos is completely unequivocal. Like, it's not really clear what Ten Hag wants Man United to do. Like, it's, they don't seem to have any more of a playing identity now than when they sacked Solskjaer, or frankly, even when they sacked Mourinho five years ago. Um, whereas Postacoglu, like, I mean, it's I know it's easy for some people to take the piss out of the um, it's who we are, mate, stuff. Mm. But I do think that the the kind of the consistency of their style of play is very much downstream from the um it's just who we are mate stuff you know because people know the players know what's expected of them regardless of the circumstances just on ten hard though and this this idea of having a style of play yeah i'd like again it's a criticism that i've made this season of him and a sense that i've got watching it but there is a style of play and it's the one that you identify ken and it is getting the ball forward as quickly as possible and trying to play in transitional moments and trying to play on the counter-attack when those opportunities arise. And I thought it was interesting that in his post-match interview yesterday, you know, he was asked about that specifically, about whether he wants to have a game that is more controlled and has more possession. And I felt like when he was being asked the question, I felt like this is... He could easily just say, well, yes, because obviously every, every top team would want that. But he didn't. He said he kind of hedged it and said, well, actually, it's actually it's pretty hard not to play a long ball out the back when you've got the speed of someone like Marcus Rashford or Alejandro Ganacho or Rasmus Hyland up front and you want to exploit the spaces that teams are leaving. And, like, when it comes... When we come back into this old, like, patterns of play and they're just a team of individual moments, if you're going to play in that style, if you're going to play fast, if you're going to play direct, it is going to look like individual moments because they're going to be fleeting transitional attacks that don't last very long and often come off and often don't. So I think there is a style of play that he's trying to achieve. It isn't the one that people associate with him at Ajax because I think the personnel are different, but there's ways of achieving it and there's ways of doing it that are more successful. Like We all think of Liverpool as quite a direct team as well, but we don't think of them as a team that doesn't have control of games. Um, United, I think if you look at their their average possession this season, it's 52%. That's the eighth most, and the the seven teams that have got more than them are the the rest of the big six, and it's Newcastle and it's Brighton. So it's exactly who you'd expect. So it's it's almost like they're, you know, they're 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 right in the middle of 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 this league in terms of their style of play and what they're trying to achieve. And yeah, I I do think it's still a bit muddled, but I do think that clearly he wants to play fast, he wants to play direct, and that's that has been the evidence of what we've seen this season. I think. Yeah, you mentioned Liverpool, and obviously they do play lots of direct and fast football and Klopp has, has been identified this throughout his career. But if I look at them this season, only five matches have they actually had less of the ball in the game. You know, Chelsea, Tottenham, Manchester City, 
Newcastle and Arsenal are the only games where they've dipped below 50%. So, so we're talking about tough games there. Usually they're over 60%. You know what I mean? They, they are a team that, that dominates. I think the problem with, for Man United playing that way is not that it's, it doesn't work. Like, I mean, because clearly it can. I mean, they, they, only, they drew this game despite Tottenham maybe seeming like the, the better collection players out, out in the field. Um, they, they looked dangerous at times. It's not like you can't succeed with this. But I think it's a difficult thing to pull off at Old Trafford where you've got 70,000 people there watching Manchester United run around not having the ball against the Tottenham team that seems much more confident than them and is, is, is controlling the ball, is moving the ball through... Uh, through the midfield in a kind of a controlled way with like multiple passes and every time United get it they kind of kick they kick and rush <laughs> and sometimes they score a goal you know like it, it gets through to Rashford and you know Holland they, their goals kind of came in, in that way so it's not like it didn't work at all but for most of the game people are just sitting there watching Tottenham watching Tottenham dominate at Old Trafford and that is no good you can't <laughs> you cannot ultimately get away with that if you're the Man United manager no, and um, you know I think this was an issue under Solskjaer as well. You remember the games against top teams visiting Old Trafford. Um, you know the one that sticks out in my mind is the Liverpool one, but there was there was City visits there as well, where they would lean into this idea that they're best on the counter attack and that there'll be space to exploit, and there often was. But what it actually became was like a cakewalk for the opposition, and and <laughs> that, the five nil, the two nil, in quick succession towards the end of his tenure, um, just horrible, miserable atmospheres. And I wasn't there yesterday myself, but I think coming out of the game, people who were there, a lot of fans as well on, on social media, saying that that was just a, a really just dead atmosphere at Old Trafford yesterday, and like that it almost felt like an end of the season game where you know it was a season where. Uh, expectations hadn't been met, and but there's still actually half <laughs> half of the campaign to go. So look, I don't. Yeah, I, I get it. I, the issue is, I, I remember. Um, I think it was under Louis Van Gaal, Gary Neville writing columns in the Mail or the Telegraph or whoever he was writing for at the time, saying, you know, United have a defined style of play. It's it's four four two. It's wingers wide. It's fast, direct, and. That kind of that that romanticism for that you know the nineties or whatever it is has is is still a bit of a hangover now. All these years later, um, there is still a desire to play in that way, and I think when United do play in that way and it's successful, fans and I absolutely love it. Um, there was a game against Aston Villa on Boxing Day that was exactly in that style because Villa play that such a high line and there's there is that space to attack. Um, it was probably one of the most you know reinvigorating moments of United season that game but more often than not top teams don't play like that nowadays um, and when you come up against a top team that does what you'll find is that you don't have the ball you don't have you you aren't the protagonist of the game and that you know you aren't winning football matches and that really has been is is what United fans identify themselves and their team with rather than rather than any specific style of play I would say sure even Alex Ferguson was smart enough not to try to live up to his own hype during periods of his of his tenure, we don't have to relitigate Ferguson again. But it wasn't like it was always this free flowing football every season, and he brought in coaches who who played other ways and so on. But I did want to ask you about one of the new signings at Tottenham, Timo Werner, and his debut. Jack, how does he fit into the "it's who we are" made philosophy based on what you saw at the weekend? I thought he was. I thought you basically got what you'd expect from him. I thought his movement was really good. Um, he, you know, he stretches the play. He runs in behind. He attacks the space. 
Um, his finishing was not very good, um, which would not be a surprise given how he performed at Chelsea or frankly how he's done since he's gone back to Leipzig in the last 18 months before coming back to Spurs. Um, I do think he'll probably, I think he's, I think he's a good option for now. I think to be honest, he makes Tottenham better. You know, Tottenham have in the last few weeks and particularly with Son going off to the Asian cup, they do desperately need extra bodies, extra experience in that front line. I think an awful lot is being asked at the moment of Richarlison and Brennan Johnson. Certainly think Brennan Johnson needs a rest. Um, so I think I think Werner makes sense. I know he's you know it's, it's tough for him because he's based you know he must know that he's the, the punchline to to gags from his time at Chelsea. But he's um, I do think he will overall make Tottenham better. Uh, Tottenham do seem to have had a very good transfer window uh, so far. You know I mean we're we're only halfway through, but uh, a lot has happened uh, and all of it good. I think from. Uh, Spurs' point of view, Dyer out, Dragushin in, and uh, Werner in, and Daniel Levy doing deals early in the window, which doesn't—it's—it's it's not like him. Yeah, so this is something that Hossakoglu um, spoke about publicly in December was how much he wanted people in at the start of the window so they could get they could get bedded in um, and get up to speed quickly. I think they knew that January and February would be really tough because as well as the injury crisis that they've had for the last few months, losing three first teamers to international football in Son, Saar and Bissouma meant that Tottenham really needed to get bodies in quickly who could come straight into the team like Werner has done. You know, I think Dragosin, I mean, obviously he came on yesterday and I think he, he might have played had neither Romero nor Van der Ven been fully recovered from their hamstring injuries. As it happens, I thought Romero and Van der Ven did really well. Um, so, yeah, it is a bit unusual for them to be to be moving early. But because um, obviously in the past, you know, Poro, Kulisevsky, Benton Kerr, all really good signings came in right at the very end of the January window. So it does su- suggest a little bit that Levy conscious that, you know, now is a big moment of opportunity for Tottenham. He's also conscious of the fact that Postacoglu is hugely popular with the Tottenham fans. And so I think Levy will probably want to be, you know, to be seen to be facilitating that. Just on the popularity of Postacoglu, I mean, his... It's obvious why he why he would be, in my opinion. They've, they've played really well this season. Um, they're they're in good position. I think a better position than a lot of Tottenham fans might have expected to be. You know, from the point of view of the end of last season or this or this summer. So you know that's all going well. But I kind of see it's like you mentioned earlier on um, the you know his the kind of mate stuff. There's, there is a bit of a mockery of him also at the same time going on. I wonder why you think that is. Like I saw a piece that there was. Uh, was it you and Murray writing writing in the you Guardian? Murray, yeah. Yeah, you and Murray, Murray wrote, the, wrote this piece in the Guardian. Um, I suppose coming at it from a Scottish uh, perspective, uh, some kind of a Scottish perspective, where uh, he kind of, you know, for for example, uh, you know, he writes uh, gushing praise follows his every public utterance. Postacoglu seemingly idolised Ozzy Ardiles and Ricky Villa in his youth. In Glasgow, he referenced the late Tommy Burns during an on-field performance with microphone in hand. No opportunity is knowingly missed. So you see what he's saying there. He's saying this guy's a bullshit artist. He's a, he's a fake. He's a plum author. He's, he's, uh, he's full of shit, is basically the charge here. And I'm just wondering, why, where does that... Uh, where does that come from? I do think there is a degree of hurt feelings about the fact that clearly he was interviewing for the Tottenham job in April and May last year while continuing to manage Celtic and to deny connection to Tottenham. 
And then obviously, as soon, you know, as soon as the Celtic season finishes, like cup final, you know, 24 hours later, he's Tottenham manager. Um, on the broader point, I do th- look clearly, Bosakoglu is very smart when it comes to saying the right things to get fan base. Fan base is energized. You know, he's. I think he's a very he's a very canny guy. He's very. He kind of he has a really good instinctive understanding of the politics of football. But this is good, right? I mean, this is hear. this is all. Yeah, this I know. is all good. And tons of managers do this. Like, there's, you know, there are so many managers for whom, you know, there's an whether it's Klopp or Jose or Rafa or whoever for whom like there's an element of kind of political theatricality in how they use the media. And I think Postecoglou is no different from that. Um, I one thing I think the piece got right is that. He does have this reputation for being a great guy and a nice guy and cuddly, which I think is kind of the wrong end of the stick. I think he's actually, he's clearly quite spiky. And you just have to you know go to one press conference of his and you realize that he's he's not, not short-tempered, but he can be a bit impatient with questions that he doesn't like. And I know that, you know, some people don't particularly like this. I think it's I think it's broadly fine, but um, clearly he does he he does you know he knows how to handle himself in a media environment and his can like his candor and his straight talkingness and this is something that again comes through in Ewan's piece like candor is not exactly the same thing as honesty and um, he you know whether it comes to injuries or whatever like his his straight talking is not always exactly the same as like being the nicest, most open, most honest guy on the planet, which he isn't. He's he's a, a, a canny, clever football manager. Jack, I was surprised to read in a piece you wrote last week about a certain presence around the club who I thought was banned from football. Paratici, the former sporting director, still seems to be pulling a few strings on an ad hoc basis. Yeah, so this has been, it's been like a, uh, something that's happened at Tottenham over the last well, coming up to a year now. So Paratici was Paratici resigned as managing director of football at Tottenham in April after losing an appeal against his ban from world football, which FIFA had extended last year. But he then, to cut a long story short, he then had his ban reduced on appeal so that it was no longer a ban from world football but rather a ban from conducting various specific activities as detailed by the Italian Football Association, which which creates a lot of scope for Paratici continuing to be involved in football. Mm. And since then, he has operated as a paid consultant to Daniel Levy, on particularly on recruitment, on restructuring Tottenham, on the managerial appointment process, and had an awful lot of success in doing so. You know, Tottenham, because Tottenham didn't really have a recruitment team last summer. So Paratici had a big say in recruitment and I think did it really well. You know, Vicario has obviously been fantastic. Van der Fen's been fantastic. Madison, he pushed for as well. And so if you add those players to the players that Paratici signed when he was officially working for Tottenham, like half, you know, more than half the team of this guy's signings now. And they're so like they're so good as signings that I think the the reputational damage that Tottenham took last year for the Paratici scandal has frankly been worth it because the, the players he signed have been so good. So nobody really cares anymore that this guy is technically banned from football? But he's still operating. In this uh, way. I'm, I'm not well, saying. I'm not saying. Banned I'm not... from foot. Sorry, go on. Football. Yeah. He's. He's. Sorry. He. He's banned from certain activities. Certain activities in football. football. Yeah. And there's no suggestion that. 
that what his kind of his consultancy work for Tottenham has breached the letter of his ban. Yeah, no, there's no um, problem with that. There's, there's not that I'm not accusing Spurs of any wrongdoing here. But is there? Are, are there? That nobody minds that this guy has done what he's done in the past and is serving a ban from <laughs> from some football operations. There, it seems like as long as you can get the players in, then the reputation. As long as as long as your your hit rate is high, then the reputation is restored. Yeah, so last year, I thought lots of Spurs fans were very angry about the Parastri scandal and embarrassed about it. I think kind of because it made Tottenham look stupid and it made them look a bit amateurish the way they'd restructured the whole club to bring this guy in and then it was caught up in the scandal. But really, that was that was inseparable from the fact that the team was doing badly. The Conte appointment was a d- disaster. Levy was incredibly unpopular. Whereas now that the team's good again and they've got a manager who they like, people don't care. Like, I've seen... Like whenever you do any story about Tottenham, all you all the responses you get on Twitter are you know Don Fabio cooking again, let the man cook, all that kind of stuff. Like no, nobody cares about the creative accounting he did at Juventus. Like people could not care less about about that stuff now. And I also think like I'm not saying this is what Tottenham think, but I do think I I, I think there's an element here which is that. In the world where Tottenham are competing with a team owned by Saudi Arabia and a team owned by the United Arab Emirates, like how how morally bad is the Plus Valencia scandal in that context? Mm. Yeah. Uh, now it's uh... and I think that's what I th- I'm not. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if that that sentiment is somewhere in the ether at Tottenham when they when they get criticised by people like me or whoever else for the Fabio Paracci scandal is, you know, this is, you know, we're not comparing apples and oranges here. Yeah. Well, he's, he served his time. Well, kind of, I mean, he's serving his well, time. Well, no, he hasn't served his time. <laughs> he's, he was given a 30 month ban uh, a year ago. So he's still probably got 18 months of being officially banned from certain activities. Representing but the club, uh, club functions and things like mm. this. Yeah. But it's, you know, it's worked out pretty well for him because he gets the, you know, he, he, he gets the kind of reflected glamour of still working, gets to go to the games and high five fans and do selfies and autographs and everything and see his team playing really well in the Premier League without having, you know, the kind of onerous job title and and everything and can, you know, divide his time between Turin and Mayfair living the dream, really. Sounds really great, actually. Yeah, sounds, sounds amazing. What about, um, what just, just bringing it back to, to United, Mark, um, obviously it was a big day for Jim Ratcliffe, Sir Jim Ratcliffe, the two uh, Knights... Jim and Alex sitting together in the stand. Uh, Jim Ratcliffe leaning over, trying to soak up all of the wisdom that he could soak up from from Alex Ferguson during that game. Uh, and I saw pictures of him meeting uh, the media uh, and generally sort of introducing himself and making him his presence felt around around the club, which he's now effectively running. I mean, I know that you have. Um, you have gone through a 241 page document laying out just exactly um, how, how things are going to go now. I mean, is it, is it accurate to say that Jim Ratcliffe now runs Manchester United? Um, in a way, I mean, certainly the football operations side, but even then, I think, um, and I think you got this sense yesterday from him being there and, and him meeting the media, for example, it feels more as a figurehead role. Um, he's not going to sit on either the football club board or the PLC board. Um, the football club board is going to be Brailsford and Jean-Claude Blanc. And uh, the PLC board is, is two of his um, Ineos co-founders. So he's not going to be, and you know, he when he met with those journalists yesterday, um, 
he didn't even sit down you know just so he could get out after after a few minutes um so you know you got the sense that he perhaps didn't want to be there but he he was there um and he was taking questions but even then he was they were asking you know uh, are you going to be coming to games quite regularly and even though he's everything that Ineos have done so far is tried to put a bit of distance between them and the Glazers and, and, and show that they are different. Um, even then he said, you know, I, I can't be here all the time because I've got, I've got other things to be doing. And so a lot of that power will be delegated. Um, and yeah, I, I see it as more of a sort of a figurehead role. I don't think it was an accident that he's was sat next to Ferguson yesterday. Um, those types of things don't have, I don't know whether in an executive box you get a, a designated seat number or how that works but hmm. but yeah that wasn't that wasn't uh that was I, I believe that was on purpose Brailsford and Blanc were sat with David Gill versus Wigan on Monday night and the the optics of that the significance of that I don't think should really be underestimated because um you know they're not sat next to John Murr and um they're not sat next to other figures who are within the uh, existing structure uh, and through all the noises and everything that has been widely reported and what we've heard, we know that there's going to be significant change there. So I would, you know, I, I would be reading into that. Um, there's a lot of respect for Ferguson, for Gill, for the the old regime, if you like. Um, there's even, I was reading a profile of Brailsford recently, and um, I, I, I don't know whether I could say this on your podcast or not, but I'm just going to say it, that he always used to tell people that... Um, he would how he'd met with Sir Alex Ferguson once and asked him for his advice on team building, which was get rid of the cunts. Oh yeah. So <laughs> can I say that on your podcast? I've yeah. I think I think it's been said. Yeah, I think, think that one's come up before. Yeah. yeah. Oh, it's been said before. Well, there you uh, go. Yeah, I'm, I'm not yeah. even offering anything new. I'll just be offensive. But still. Um, <laughs> so it was, but, uh, it was Ferguson yeah. who told Brailsford that, and Brailsford said that's. And Brailsford has imparted this advice and told, oh well, Fergie tells me this, etc., uh, etc. Et over the years. So, so yeah. Um, so that's what we know about all the people who are going to be leaving Manchester United. That's what Brailsford <laughs> thinks. That's, about. Not, that's <laughs> not necessarily what I was saying, but yes. Um, no, look, uh, yeah, over there. So we expect it to be ratified in the next three or four weeks. That was what Ratcliffe was saying. Um, I think most of the job in actually forming and and building a new football structure around United will fall to in Brailsford's lap. Um, there was that little excerpt. I don't know if you saw the excerpt on Sky. Post yeah, talking to Nasser, Nasser Hussain. Hussain. Made me feel terrible that. Well, well, <laughs> why, just... why? Because I, I I was kind of watching and thinking this is out of fucking nonsense. Well, but yeah, what... no, I, true, but also at the same time he was going on about how like if you moan at work and if you say oh we'll just do that on Monday then that's loser behaviour and I was like well. I guess that makes me a loser. Well, here, uh, yeah, <laughs> you're, you're kind of betraying a bit of Zoomer mentality there. You know, oh, <laughs> complaining is bad. No, I, I was with Dave Bresford and that, but but he was so coming. What was this? What was he saying? Well, he was. He, it's basically Nasser saying did some documentary with you know winners mm-hmm. uh, a year or two ago, and Dave Brailsford was one of the one of the high performance figures that he talked to, and Brailsford was sort of was sitting there talking. You know the way men talk about this and. Things like, for example, oh, when you're in a when you're in a threat state, mm-hmm. then you know you feel inhibited. But when you're in a challenge state, then you're like, oh, we can do anything, you know. And it's all about taking the players out of that threat state and putting them into that challenge state. And you're yeah. like, okay, yeah, I mean, that sounds right, but it's one thing to say it; it's another thing to actually be able to. Just saying the thing doesn't mean you'll be able to yeah. do the thing in reality. So. Mm-hmm. I don't know, but uh, just uh, just on on one uh, person who did who went the opposite direction to Timo Werner, 
uh, is Jaden Sancho. He's kind of an afterthought at this point, really. Um, I don't get the sense that Manchester United fans are, are upset, really, to see him go. I've been thinking about Sancho. Obviously, a lot has gone on with him um, recently. Uh, this dispute with Ten Hag. Did Ten Hag do the right thing? Did Manchester United do right by Jaden Sancho? Does Jaden Sancho train hard enough? Blah, 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 blah. It's like a million different things happening with this. The more I thought about it, the more I thought... The, the the basic problem with Jaden Sancho is he's just not good enough to play in the Premier League. He actually doesn't uh, have he doesn't have the physical capacity to be a winger in the Premier League uh, in, uh, at at this point. That that like he he might have been able to do it um, in in the nineties, but now he's just too slow and doesn't have any compensating athletic virtues, which actually make him able to cut it. Like the fact is, he just he couldn't cut it. I could, I was thinking about his career, man. I couldn't remember a single good performance. Like surely, if he was some misunderstood or or mistreated genius, he would at least have played well a few times to show potential. But I honestly couldn't remember a single good game that he played in two and a half years. And I have to come to the conclusion he wasn't able to do it. I think that is a line of thinking that is pretty widespread and pretty popular among United fans. I think you've reflected it perfectly. Um, that even when he's been out of the team for the last four or five months, there's not been one moment. Um, or even with Anthony on the on, on, in his position and contributing next to nothing in terms of goals or assists, uh, there's been there's been no desire. There's been no moment where you thought, "Wow, this team's really missing Jaden Sancho at the moment." Um, which which does speak volumes. I, I agree. I think there's always been a lack of a physical burst. I thought it was interesting that um, I think the perception always around Sancho has been that he he really excelled in the Bundesliga, which is an environment where it's much more counter attacking football, where it's it's end to end. It's it's more of a basketball style of game. Um, but uh, we, we were reporting. When um, when the deal was going through a couple of weeks ago, Rafa Honingstein was saying how a lot of what uh, the reason behind why Dortmund have decided to bring Sancho back and a, a change of heart that they've had over the last few months was because they want to move to, towards more of a slower, more possession-based style, if you like. Um, and they felt that actually Sancho benefited most from that when he was with them um, for his first spell. Uh, and that... Again, we come back to the style of play on United uh, that they've been trying to pursue for the last few years. He hasn't looked like the guy that someone like Garnacho, who has that direct ability, who, who can run him behind a defence, who can play off the shoulder. He wanted more touches. He needed players around him in order to in order to link up and uh, and build that interplay. And um, he never seemed a natural fit. I mean, we, there was an interview with Solskjaer back in September, which I think fundamentally comes down to the problem where he said that they obviously chased him for two years, identified him through the scouting department as the best option for the right wing. And then when they brought him in, he wanted to play on the left, which is where Marcus Rashford plays. Mm. You know, if that... So I think, look, Sancho is is kind of... It's just a symbol of of the waste of United that we've, we've spoke about for years and years now, where there was not joined up thinking in the first place on his arrival through, through the signing, despite the fact it took two years to do. They hadn't properly... <laughs> you know, even I, you think you just ask him where where do you actually want to play? What's your preferred position? Um, but also on his side, f- because of that, um, he was just never he just never had the tools and was never built in the right system to really succeed. Um, you know, I, I know a lot has been written and we've done a piece ourselves the last few weeks about 
his off-field problems and disciplinary problems, and those were issues all the way through. Um, and they date back to his time at Dortmund as well. But I, I keep coming back to the fact that, yes, you can have personalities like that in the squad. You can have players who might need a bit more care and attention. But the fact of the matter is, if he was that player at Dortmund, he did well there. You know, they accounted for that. Any things, problems that he had off the pitch, if he was coming in late for training, they would get people to knock on his hotel door and make sure he turned up on time, et cetera, et cetera. They had structures in place and apparatus in place to make sure that despite all that, they still got the best out of him. And I think the evidence of his time at United was that that same structure was just never there. And um, for whether I think there's blame on all sides, really. But um, in the end, it was just never going to work out for James Sancho. Mm, okay. Well, we've, we've talked so long about all of these things that there's barely any time left to talk about. What well, was actually a really good game on uh, Saturday evening, Jack, between uh, Newcastle and Manchester City, who welcome back a very important player and Kevin De Bruyne came into the game and things weren't looking great for City at that point and then he just picked up where he left off at the end of last season and scored a great goal uh, set up a goal and generally was most magnificent and obviously with De Bruyne doing that then this is the kind of City we all uh, we all remember from the treble season. Um, just one note on him, though. I, I always obviously check what Diego Torres has had to say about these events. Mm-hmm. Uh, he noted that uh, the Belgian has grown his hair and has um, significantly lost weight. I didn't notice this, but I know that he's... the hair. Yeah, no, I know. Well, I mean, he's couldn't take my eyes off. Maybe that's why I didn't notice the... Has he significantly lost weight? I mean, I know Diego Torres is a journalist who, spe- who pays a lot of attention to those types of uh, morphological questions. Um, did, did you notice this as a, as, a, as a difference with Kevin De Bruyne? Honestly, no, I didn't. Um, I didn't notice that particularly closely. Like that, that didn't strike me at all about him. No. No, not at all. I think that's called short shrift, Ken. Yeah, no, I, I, I was just wondering <laughs> if I noticed. I did think he looked a little gone, like coming onto the pitch. So you I did, you, you thought so, yeah. I don't, I don't, I, I don't know. I think he just looked a little bit, I, I don't know if it's the hair. The hair is really um, troubling for me as well, because it's like the first time that I've seen someone have a hairstyle that I'd actually quite like, but I don't think I have the follicles for it anymore, unfortunately. So, oh. um that was quite triggering. But you don't think he's done? He's got this hair in, as a sort of tribute to Jack Grealish. It, it does look a bit Grealish. Mm, it's Grealish, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. There, there has been um, coming from Newcastle uh, plaintive noises that uh, what's happening to us is uh, it's terrible. Uh, it's they've treated us very badly. Uh, we uh, might have to sell a player. We might have to sell one of our good players in order to compete under these um, draconian profit and sustainability rules. Uh, Jack, this is what they're uh, complaining about. Do you, do you feel sympathy for Newcastle? Do you think it's unfair? Might the Premier League be better if they just got rid of all this regulation, as I've seen some? Uh, I've seen, for example, uh, Martin Samuel in the Times rail against this. He says, why do we have regulation? After all, we have regulation in no other walk of life. Why should football be any different? Seems to be his argument. Uh, do you think that this uh, this profit and sustainability stuff is is ruining the league and and is preventing the likes of Newcastle from illuminating all our lives in the way that they should really be doing? Uh, no, I I don't think it's ruining the league. I I guess I don't have sympathy, but I can see why. I mean, look, as far as Newcastle have an argument, I think basically the argument is, but Manchester City could do what they want, so why can't we do what we want? Like that that really seems to be what it what it fundamentally comes down to. Because clearly City have have done whatever they've wanted, very you know, 
with, with not an awful lot of restrictions for the last um, for the last fifteen years now. And may, maybe some people associated with Newcastle thought they might have it quite you know as, as easy as, as City did. And maybe if and maybe if you were being really generous, you could say, well, if they play against City, they might get annoyed about the fact that City have managed to assemble this mega team. At Newcastle, it's not going to be it's not going to be as smooth for them to assemble such a good team. Uh, but no, I obviously think the Premier League is better for you know finally discover discovering the 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 merits of regulation. Argue you know I mean the quite a few horses have bolted before they managed to close this stable door. Mm. But it you know thirty years on, but it's obviously better for it's obviously better for the league if. Um, Teams like Newcastle, and not just Newcastle, but anyone, has to think has to think twice before you know spending another hundred million on player A or player B or whatever, uh, just to kind of try to, you know, you can't put the toothpaste back in the tube, but you can try to keep a lid on, a, a lid on um, uh, inflationary spending, just just to kind of you know keep the try and keep a semblance of competitive balance. Yeah, although what do you make of the news that, that apparently Everton again and uh, Nottingham Forest are expected today to be notified that they have broken the rules um, for the... God, which season is it now? I mean, Everton... This is 22-23. 22-23. Last, last season. Last season. Um, that they're both uh, apparently going to be um, kind of formally... Uh, told that they're being being charged with this today. I mean, do you think, for example, your colleague Adam Crafton, I see, saying there is something unsustainable unsustainable for the credibility of the Premier League about cases like these coming around being resolved far quicker than those impacting Man City. Process must supersede optics, but it's a damaging look. Why is it that, um, that uh, you know, we can bash out a 10-point deduction uh, of Everton and then charge them again and then charge Forest and uh, you know various other teams it seems to happen quicker whereas with City this thing's been going on for years and seems to be set to go on for years more I I think that's a technical question but I would assume that it's because there's a difference between um, you know comparing comparing the sums in accounts which are kind of non-controversial you know there's nothing controversial the, the accounts of most clubs are not controversial and so i would assume that looking at them and seeing whether the numbers comply with the premier league rules or not is ultimately quite a simple process of you know just comparing one set of numbers to another um whereas obviously what's what they're looking at in the case of manchester city is a rather more complex set of allegations um which will pres- clearly will are taking a lot more time to to digest but obviously i think you know i think adam and everyone else is right on this which is that for as long as the city case remains open then every time a team is punished for ultimately you know for something less serious than what manchester city have been accused of people are just going to get angrier and angrier and angrier and scream well why can't you do anything about city um and you know the those kind of little bits of paper which they corruption on, which Everton fans have been holding up early this season, I wouldn't be surprised if they start to spread across the Premier League over the next few years until this is resolved. Mark, what do you think about all this? I think Jack's right. I think that um, the City's case is fundamentally different to um, the ones that are being prosecuted in a more timely fashion, if you like, because the... um, 
well, I mean, forget about the, the stretch of time and the, the length of time which which the charges um, include uh, and go over. It's it's about fundamentally you're accused of deception. They're, they're accused of falsifying their accounts over over the best part of a decade or more. Um, and that is clearly a much more uh, significant, substantial charge than, um, as Jack says, being able to, to take a club's pre-tax loss deduct a few things and see whether you know it comes in under a 15 million threshold over three years um so it's a fundamentally more serious charge and that's why it will take more time I'd, I'd like yeah i understand that people will be frustrated um and i'm sure fans of everton are waking up and thinking well are we going to be hit by a second charge while well, nothing's happened to city um and you know for for what for trying to spend money on a stadium um i think there's arguments that you know things like that perhaps shouldn't be included in this test if that's like a long-term benefit that you know long-term investment for the club in building a new stadium um, then that's something that should perhaps not be included perhaps um you could widen the margins more and allow for more losses over over more years to 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 give clubs um kind of mid-ranking clubs more room to compete and to invest but i think any fans that you know find their club on the wrong side of these investigations um, and the wrong side of these tests over the next few years, the kind of, the the balm, if you like, is that if the case against City is proven, then the punishment will be much harsher by orders of magnitude because it's a much, much more serious offence. And it's something that will, you know, in City's case, I think it will probably define the last decade of the club's existence and probably the next decade of the club's existence if if they're found to be guilty of it. But that is going to be a much longer process and one that um, probably isn't going to be settled for another year or two yet. Mark, Jack, brilliant to have you on. Thanks, Mill. No problem. Cheers, boys. John Delaney could run anything. I think the FAI are fortunate that we're, they were able to track somebody of his calibre. I'm delighted to announce on behalf of the FAI that Mick McCarthy um, is our new international manager. It's two years time. You know, we don't know what will happen. The senior team is not my brief. My brief is the under-21 international team. Further announcement today is that Stephen Kenny will commence as our under-21 manager. What if he comes in and rips it up with the 21s? In August 2020, yeah, I'm taking over and that's, uh, that's, that's been decided. I don't want to give the, the amount of money. But I can't say it's at least €100,000 in cash. No, it's not in writing, it's just... No, no, it's in writing, yeah. We have to write the cheques tomorrow morning. The credit line and the ability to pay is there. Full stop. Full stop. We're in good shape, Dad. You just keep getting better. I got this. We're announcing two grassroots initiatives today, Ken, for the, van- for the Vantage Seeds. For as little as €100 Euros a month on direct debit, over 10 years, you can be assured of your Vantage Seed. You are... Fucking idiot. We have to do what we're doing. We have to do it. And we're doing it. And after the Euros in 2020, Stephen will take charge of the senior international team. Disgraceful reaction to that. But listen, I woke up to listen to it again, because that's the last game. I'll see you on the show. I'm out of here. John we had a chat with Oliver Sheen Akaleje late last week, just ahead of the Africa Cup of Nations. Among the things we were talking about was Ghana, in particular their coach Chris Hute, former Republic of Ireland international, a potential successor to Stephen Kenny as Republic of Ireland manager. 
not too many Ghana fans. I think Ghana fans in general didn't seem too happy with the job he was doing coming into the tournament. They did lose a World Cup qualifier to the Comoros Islands, and that's not the kind of result that Ghana fans would find acceptable. Now, Alawashina suggested that maybe Ghana fans have notions about themselves mm. and the type Exalted of football they should be playing of, and yeah, the tournaments they should be winning and so forth. Uh, nevertheless, I think everyone could agree that they didn't expect to lose to Cape Verde in their opening game, the smallest team in the competition, apparently. Pico Lopez, of course. Mm. Rovers, played 90 there. minutes at the back for... Uh, played 90 minutes. Cape Verde. They won late on with a late goal, which spelled bad news for Ghana and this supporter outside the ground didn't seem too happy with Chris Hewton. Unfortunately, our coach is a very average coach. He's not up to standard. He wasn't coaching any team for almost, what, a year before coming to take over the Black Stars. Yes, he's been in the Black Stars for long, but he's not good enough. He's a poor coach. I mean, I'm glad his contract is coming to an end, so we can quietly lay him off and find a better coach for us. The coach is not good enough. We need a better coach. What are the few things that he does that makes you feel like, nah? For me, it is clear. He's a reactive coach than a proactive coach. I don't know if he's scared to allow our players to play because every match, in the last five matches, all our first half games, he lets the players sit behind. He's not a brave coach. He doesn't inspire the players in any way. You don't see any inspiration. From the start of the game, the players come and they are all their spirits are down. You could see it from this game when we started. The spirit of the players were down. Even though fans came in their numbers, you could see the fans were there to uplift the boys, but the boys were not even uplifted. So you can tell that it is a coaching issue. The coach is not inspiring the boys. He's not giving them strength to play and he's not encouraging them to play. So for me, the coach is average. He's not good enough. Thank you. Yeah. Not a great review. Not a great review by that particular supporter. I'm just reading actually on Reuters, things got worse for Hewton. An angry supporter attempted to strike Ghana coach Chris Hewton after their loss on Sunday and was taken away by police team official. Team officials confirmed on Monday. So uh, that's not great. And not a brilliant audition so far for the Republic of Ireland job. No, they're playing Egypt next. Time. Again, any Ghana fan listening, seeing me talking about Ghana <laughs> as the potential stepping stone to what every manager really wants to do, manage the Republic of Ireland, would probably have things to say to me. Sorry, they're playing who next? Egypt. Um, oh, yeah, okay. Egypt, who also nearly lost. Uh, it was a 97th minute penalty equaliser by Mohamed Salah who had earlier missed a couple of chances. And he got an assist with a uh, massively mishit shot that dribbled to a teammate who kicked it in. Um, but, yeah, if they'd lost that, then this guy in Egypt would almost be an eliminator. Mm. Like, um, you know, lose that and you're and you're out. Alavashina It's difficult us. to get knocked out of these tournaments uh, at this stage because it's a 24-team, six groups. So, so a bunch of the third-place teams go through. So... Um, They'll probably still both qualify, but um, there's a good chance of one of them getting on. Oh, Sheen has told us as well that Mo Salah has work to do to be considered among the greatest Egyptian footballers. The illustrious footballers sons of the pharaoh. Ever, which we were somewhat surprised about, but you can listen <laughs> yeah. to that conversation if you're a World Service member and you might have missed it last week. Thanks for listening today. Cheers, Murph. Thanks, Ken. Thank you, Owen. Thank, thank you, Owen. Thank you, Kieran. Thanks a million. Sign up now to hear that conversation with Aldo Sheena and all the other football we're doing on the World Service. Secondcaptains.com. Five euro a month plus fat is all it costs. Second Captains Podcast is part of the ACAST Creator Network. Second captain's world service. It is not war and death and famine. It's not that at all. 
it's the opposite of that. It's to persuade us of the world outside of that. That's why sports is important. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. This message comes from BOF sponsor eBay. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee. And you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewellery that makes you look like the gem, or sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly. eBay gets it. So look for the blue check mark next to that thing you love. And be confident that every inch, stitch, sole, and logo is checked by experts. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms.